So you may be wondering, why am I putting up these hearts? And the reason is quite simple, because my message today is entitled Falling in Love with Jesus. I could have called it Falling in Love with the Trinity, because each member of the Trinity are all the same in character, but they're different in function. But we're just going to focus on Jesus, because I'm really going to try hard to keep this message today simple. I'm going to go over three main ways uh, to help us fall in love with Jesus. These are three main ways from my own journey that have come to help me fall more in love with Jesus. So my prayer today is that uh, these, these three ways will help you too. So I'll just start by praying. Thank you so much for your love for us. Trinity, thank you so much, Jesus, for Father and Holy Spirit, thank you for everything that you do, every bit of love you show us and uh, help us grow on this journey of dedicating our lives more to you, of surrendering to you. And I just ask that the practical things that I have today, the words, Lord, that everything that's from you would just be implanted into the hearts and minds of everybody who hears this message and is here today. In Jesus' name. So these three points as well are incredibly simple. So I don't mean to be telling anybody how to suck eggs. But the problem is, one of the things I find with myself, I'm always looking for the advanced. I'm, I've got it together. I'm really cool. I, I don't need simple. I'm a bit above that. So, so often I'm finding and learning that the simple is all I need. The simple is, is all I have, and it works. It's the KISS principle. I can't say stupid, so I'll say keep it super simple. To take an analogy, like computers, if this computer failed on me, it's pretty hard. it might be pretty hard for me to get it fixed in time to be able to bring you this presentation, but pen and paper is always going to work particularly over the long term, if you've got a good storage system. So the first way I have to help us love Jesus some more that I want to share with you is getting to know Jesus. See this, uh, this book I have here? This is called a Beautiful Outlaw. It's from John Aldridge. Now, if you know nothing about this book, it's pretty hard to love it, isn't it? You don't know what it's about. You, you, you've got no reason to, to like it. But once I share a few stories from it and uh, tell you what it's about, that's a different matter. Jesus really is incredible. Jesus really is incredible. But saying that alone doesn't really mean much. We've got to go into a bit more detail. Why is he incredible? What makes Jesus so cool? Why is he awesome? So hopefully we'll unpack just that just a little bit. We don't, this could be a sermon in itself. But So I'm just going to focus on a couple of things and read a couple of things from this book. 
when I first read Beautiful Outlaw, my eyes were open to this incredible nature of Jesus like never before. And I asked the question, how? And John answers it, how? How have I missed it? How did I miss it? I grew up in the church. I read all the stories. How did I miss who Jesus really was for so long? John goes into length in his book to talk about one of the ploys that the enemy has been to deceive us of who Jesus is. You can see that in evidence of what the world thinks Jesus is, that he's nothing like. Just look at the paintings of Jesus. They're nothing like him. They're not even Jewish. For me, though, um, the main reason I miss Jesus is because every single story I read about him, I looked at him through the lens of who I thought he was, the box or the image that I thought Jesus was instead of letting Jesus reveal himself to me. I made a decision and I come to find out that that decision or conclusion or belief was an error. And so every time I looked at stories, I I looked at it through my lens and they made no sense. How could... How could that happen? God's not like that. This is weird. I didn't understand it. John also says another reason is that when you, when you read a text, when you're reading the text, it's like reading a text somebody says on a mobile phone or an email. There's no, there's no, there's no character in it. There's not much personality. Emojis come a long way these days to try to bring that back in, to uh, bring a bit of life into the text. But it's so easy to misconstrue. What, what the intention of the, the writer was actually trying to say and take it the wrong way. And, you know, has that ever happened to you before? It's, it's happened to me before where I've said something and uh, I got found myself in hot water even though that wasn't my intention in the first place. So there's going to be uh, two, two, two points that, uh, it changed my life, changed my relationship with Jesus out of this book that I want to highlight today, even though there's way, way much more in it. John goes into great lengths about the vast character of Jesus, about Jesus being extravagantly generous, about him being fierce, about him being straight up when needed, about him being really kind and gentle as well. It's very, Jesus is so balanced. So I'll just go to my first poster note. This this first point that I want to share about about who Jesus is, which radically changed me, was Jesus is extremely playful. Not always, obviously. He knows that would be very serious as well. But at the time of me reading this book, I was extremely serious all the time. And I thought that's what the Christian life was all about. Guess what? I was wrong. So, this story begins um, just after Jesus' resurrection, and uh, it starts in Luke 24, 13 to 19, but I'm just going to read from the, from the story, so I won't bring the scripture up. Now, that day, Resurrection Sunday, two of them go into a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, 
what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do not, do, do not you know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. Pause. Let's hold on for a sec. You've got to be kidding me. Here are two of Jesus' disciples, as grief-stricken as human hearts can be. They think he's dead. They think it's all over. If any moment cried out for good news from Jesus, this is the one. Yet again, he casually enters the scene. He's this time as a traveller with a flight to catch. He just sort of huffs up alongside, again hiding himself as he later does on the beach. To let this play out, he asks what they're so upset about. Can you believe it? Cleopas can't. How is it possible that this stranger could have missed the things rocking Jerusalem the past few days? What things, Jesus inquires. Hmm, if anyone knows what things, it's Jesus. These are his things, for heaven's sake. His most important things ever. He reigns, he fames ignorance. The story continues. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Remember now, what do you think Jesus' overall mood is this particular Sunday morning? Just a few hours ago, he had walked out of the grave with the keys of hell swinging on his belt and the redemption of mankind in his pocket. Would it be safe to say he's cheerful? Maybe even excited? Jubilant? Christ is, is about as happy as anyone on earth ever could, could be in the history of the world. But so far, he appeared only to Mary Magdalene. Isn't the moment crying out for him to reveal himself to these shell-shocked followers? Look at me, I'm alive. Everything is going to be okay. Rejoice. Tell the world. He doesn't. He carries on the disguise apparently for some time, holding forth on highlights from the Old Testament as the three tramp along then comes this unbelievable moment. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. He acted as if he were going further. Wow, nice talking to you chaps. So sorry for your loss. Hope things turn out. But I've got to get going. What in the world? Christ takes up the whole role of a thespian, pretending to have to, to move on so that they must beg him to stay. 
all right, if you insist. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, began to give to it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Poof, see ya. No more discussion, gone. What do you make of this story? Jesus' behavior is either A, bizarre, B, meant to drive home some obscure spiritual lesson, which taken into the timing, the first thing he does after his resurrection and his play acting, it makes it even more bizarre. Or C, is he really just being playful in the mood that he is in? Given that this is the God of a playful creation on this resurrection morn, he who has been so playful with his followers in their years together, whom we see playing the inside joke almost a week from now, John's, John's hunch is that Jesus is being playful. He also makes a point there about the creation how much playfulness is all over this earth in the animals, in the children. In the children, no doubt, of which he tells us to be like, to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think he wants us to be playful too. Yeah? Just look at the, just look at the animals and the little critters. You know, they just love it. Just, just, and look at a dog. How much fun can you have with a dog? And where did they get this from? Where did, all, where, did, where did they get this from? They got it from their creator. The next thing I want to share about from this story is an even bigger thing for me that I got out of this story I want to share with you. Something that changed my life drastically, even more than the fact that Jesus is playful. But it continues on with uh, following down the, the journey and the thought that Jesus is playful. So this uh, is a week from now, it's still after his r- resurrection. It goes like this. This episode takes place a week or so after Jesus comes out of the grave. The Apostle John, one of Jesus' closest friends, recounts it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Sounds familiar? Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He's up to it again. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off 
and jumped into the water. The, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the, the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there was with a fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some fish you have, that you have caught. Simon Peter climbed the board and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the nets were not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. So many things are delicious about this story. It's hard to know where to dive in. First, the boys have gone out fishing. Can you blame them? The events of the past two weeks have been, to say the least, overwhelming. The emotions are high of, high of the triumphant em- entry at Palm Sunday. Branches waving, crowds shouting, Hosanna. It all crashed lower than anyone thought possible. Their beloved Jesus was tortured, executed and tombed. And then, fantastic beyond imagining, he appeared to them alive again twice. Though at this moment, they're not sure where he is, where he's gone to. Not really sure what to do next. Unable to endure one more agonizing moment, waiting around the house. They do what any self-respecting angler who needs to get out and clear his head does. They go fishing. Apparently, fishing naked or darn close to it. Notice that Peter needs to put his clothes back on. Notice how casually Jesus enters the scene. His best friends don't even know it's him. This is the resurrected Lord, mind you, ruler of the heavens and the earth. Think Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus could have announced his risen presence on the beach with radiant glory. He knows there is nothing in the world that would help his mates more than to see him again. He certainly could have shouted in his commanding voice, It is I, the Lord, come thou art to me. He doesn't. He does the opposite. He hides himself. A bit longer to let this play out. He simply stands on the shore, hands in his pockets like a tourist, and asks the question curious passers-by always do of fishermen. Catch anything? The nonchalance of the risen Savior here is absolutely intriguing. Whatever Jesus is up to, the moment is loaded for his next move. Now, two more things are needed to set the stage. Probably first, what would you guess Jesus' moody particular morning would surely be? He's happy. The man has conquered death, ransomed mankind, been restored to his father, his friends, and the, the world he made forever. He is in the afterglow of the greatest triumph of the greatest battle in history of the cosmos. I'm going to venture that he is one mighty happy man, but not the followers. Up all night, nothing to show for it, barely half dead at the oars while the boat rocks back and forth, back and forth. They could use some cheering up. Last, how did these closest brothers first encounter Jesus? It was here along the shore of this lake, possibly this very spot, knowing how fishermen tend to keep their boats near a favourite hole. That first compelling encounter also involved the the fellow skunked after a night of fishing. It too began with a seemingly random instruction. In, this is in chapter Luke, Luke 5. Put, it, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish 
that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so full that they began to sink. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. So this has happened before. That first miracle catch, nets bursting, boats swarming, it must have felt like ages ago, around three years ago, in fact. After all that has unfolded, all that has unraveled, depending on your point of view, but it is, was their story, the way they got pulled into the whole revolution. Most Christians can tell you in detail how they met Jesus, especially if it was a dramatic encounter. That payload was a story, this inner circle, no doubt, talked about many times after. As guys will do, as fishermen especially will often do. Sitting, sitting around the nightly fire, somebody brings it up with a smirk. Peter, the look on your face was priceless. Then imitating Peter's reaction, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Luke 5, 8. And they all fell cracking up again. Or they, they were missed and really enjoyed the experience. My buddies and I used to make... Oh, I'll just skip that bit for time. So here the famous disciples are. Three years later, they pulled another all-nighter off the same beach. The boys are skunked again and Jesus does it again. Try the other side again. The nets are bursting It's how he lets them know it's him. This is the wink of an inside joke. That rich treasure of friendship, that the running gag between mates, where over time all you need to do is start the first line and everyone cracks up all over again. Try the other side, another jackpot. Just like the good old days, nothing more needs to be said. Peter is already in the water, thrashing for the shore. Do you see the playfulness of Jesus, his timing, the tension, his hiddenness, a tourist-like question, the same lame suggestion from somebody they think knows nothing about fishing, then bang, the catch, and the boys are hooked again. This is a beautiful story, made so much richer because of the playfulness of Jesus. The other thing that you can draw from it, if you don't want to say that that's being playful, but I think that's being extremely playful personally, is that he's being extremely human, extremely human-like. So this, that story, the whole book, really, and these scriptures I'm going to show you next, did the very profound thing for me of smashing the big lie that I had when I viewed Jesus. These scriptures also betray the idea that Jesus really became a man. The scriptures are, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John 1, 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too was shared in their humanity. Hebrews 2.14. And then in Philippians 2.7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared 
in human form. All this has taught me that Jesus is about, is about us and he's, he's about just being normal. He's about being human. He's very much human and he's very much like us. He is both God and man. And us being created in him, his image makes us very much like him. So the very things that are important to us or fun for us are fun for him and important for him too. Not important merely because they're important to us, but they're important to him because in his heart, that's what he wants to do as well. That's what he generally wants to do. It's who he, it's who he is. And it's very central to him. Jesus just had to have breakfast with his buddies before he returned to heaven. A very normal Thing to do with your friends. One of the main reasons Jesus chose to become a man is because he is incredibly interested in us and desires close relationship with us, like really close. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Jesus really wanting to be intimate and close to us. Well, just look at any close relationship you have with anybody. I'm going to give you a little bit of a live demonstration. My good mate, Ross, we're pretty close. We're just going to have a catch-up live in front of you. How you going, buddy? What's up, mate? How you been? Good, good. Anything exciting happening while you've been trucking this week? Uh, I ran over a wallaby. (laughs) That wasn't very much fun. Really? Oh. Still see his little face looking at me. Yeah. Oh. Mm. No, but but driving into the storm last night, the other night out at school, all the lightning, it was good. Was that so? That fine. It wasn't challenge. Wasn't it challenging? Because I know that can be hard with driving when it's raining. You know, trying to keep control. No, no, I, it went around me. I didn't have to go through it, which was good. Praise God. All right, what about um? You got any jokes for me? Hang on a second. I got a bit of a joke. You know, did I ever tell you a joke about uh, beach volleyball? <laughs> Don't tell that here. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was going to say, actually. (laughs) No, I can't tell you. But but did you notice? Notice a few things. Notice how I I hugged hugged Ross. That's a very normal thing for me to do with Ross. It's very normal. Jesus, he wants to hug you too. He He wants his closeness. Notice how I had the ability to get Ross rolling. Yeah? Did you see that? It wasn't, wasn't very hard for me. That's because we had this close thing, this intimate thing. I know, I know him a little bit. That's what Jesus wants to do with you. He wants it to be very similar, except he wants you to establish your own nuances with him, your own special things, your own things you can laugh about and play about. Yeah. And he's also, did you notice too, he's, Jesus being balanced. We, we were a bit serious then as well. Jesus is serious too. For me, it smashed the lie that Jesus is off in the cosmos doing God's stuff, saving the world, and he's not interested in me. It changed my world. 
Michelle and I were watching a movie last night and um, it's about this guy and things were getting a bit chaotic and a bit crazy. Made a few mistakes, done a few good things. And then uh, he, um, he comes in contact, he reconnects with an authority figure in his life. And um, the person says, says to, to him, it's good to see you. Not, I can't believe you did that. You messed up so bad. Not, this is so crazy. I can't believe all this stuff going on around us. This is crazy. This authority figure just wants relationship. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. I saw that and I just broke down because it's the, the heart of the Trinity for us. They just want to spend time with us. It's so bad. He really wants our time. And the key, it's key to know that this, his desire for our time is genuine. Not because he has to, but because he wants to, because he loves us with a genuine love. I'm going to come to a close on this, uh, this, this first way. This one's a bit longer. The, the other two ways are a bit shorter, so bear with me. Of um, falling, falling more in love with Jesus. And I want to read quickly again the last thing from this book, the intro. Sunlight on water. Songbirds in the forest. Desert sands under moonlight, vineyards just before harvest. All these, uh, all these share something in common. They reflect the heart of a particular artist. They are his masterpieces, his expression, and his gift to us. The artist's name is Jesus. Something else lies in common between these treasures and Jesus as well. Words on a page cannot compare to a personal experience. Sailing the ocean on a bright morning with the wind in your face. Wandering under, wandering under a forest canopy while you see the sunlight filter down. Lying on warm sand dunes beneath a full moon watching shooting stars. Drinking in the lush beauty of vineyards on A hillside in early autumn, these experiences are far closer to what it is to actually experience Jesus than merely talk about him could ever be. More words about Jesus are helpful only if they bring us into an experience of him. We don't need any further speculation or debate. We need Jesus himself. And you can have him, really. You can experience Jesus intimately. You were meant to, for despite the vandalizing of Jesus Christ by religion and the world, he is still alive and very much himself. Though nowadays it takes a little bit of uncovering to know him as he truly is. You see, you can truly experience Jesus for who he really is. When I read A Beautiful Outlaw, as I'm a really open personal, tend to be, and have a deep hunger for truth, when I read it, every bit of revelation I had about Jesus, that same day I experienced him that very way. 
In 1 John 1 to 3, this is the message version. For the very first, from the very first day we were there taking it all in, we heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober pose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. He saw it. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive for writing this this is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. That's my point. That You can experience Jesus too. Not just read about him in the Gospels. Full of life and personality. And the, doc- and the Gospels no longer be words on a page about an ancient figure who lived a long, long time ago, but he's just as alive and active today. So to, f- to finally wrap this point up, I'm going to use another analogy. Getting to know Jesus is similar to getting to know the city. If Ben Reeves was here, I'd ask him, how is it that he knows where all the good coffee watering holes are around the town? But he's not, so I'm going to use a different, a, a different question. Is How do you know where all the good restaurants are? It's by going and seeing. But to save time, you might do a little bit of study first. You might look up on the net, hottest restaurants in town, top ten restaurants in town. And then you go yourself and you check it out to find if it's true. I'm going to call this study and engagement. So the people that know their way around the city the most, they're not the people that grew up in the city, although that can help. It's the people that choose to study and engage it for themselves. which is what often happens with people growing up in the city, particularly young guys riding around on their bikes. They go exploring. So you can look on a map and uh, you can think that you can go through there. But not until you actually get there sometimes you find out you can't. There's a fence there. That's on the map. There's stairs there. Can't drive your car down there. But the ones that know this are the ones that choose to find out for themselves. It's your policemen. It's your paramedics. It's your postie. It's your pizza delivery boy. They want to know their way around the city. It's the people that want to know who Jesus is that discover him. They go on the journey to study and engage him, to test him for who he is, to experience him the way that he is. So I want to encourage you to do just that. We're going to spend our whole lives doing it. If you really want to get to know Jesus for who he is, that's what it's going to take. It's a personal choice to put in the time over the, over, over the distance. So I'm going to move on now to my next point, to growing loving Jesus. And that is receiving Jesus' love. 
I once thought that Jesus had to go to the cross because God made him as if it was the only way to have relationship with him. And yes, it is the only way we can have relationship with him. But the thing is, which I didn't realize, is Jesus didn't go begrudgingly. He went willingly. He chose to. He wanted to. It wasn't something he had to do because he was made. It was something he chose to do because he loves us, because he wants us so much. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, meaning as a human, he felt everything that happened on his journey to the cross. He felt that every blow the Roman soldiers gave him, he felt the spears going through his side. And he did it for his great love, not because he was forced to. There was no forcing. He could have said no, but he didn't. Consider the fact again that Jesus is just like his father. I want to draw out that Jesus' love for you and for me didn't end at the cross. If we look at the second half of John 4.18, it says, God is love. That's 1 1 John 4.18. Meaning, it's a constant for all time. He will always love. I'm saying that every day we can experience the love from the Trinity and it's much like receiving a gift. So I have this, uh, this gift for Joe right now. I, um, I just have one condition. You can't open it till I tell you you can. Um, so like receiving a present, you've got a choice. Usually we just open it, particularly because we know it's come from somebody we love, somebody we trust, and we know that their heart for us is good. It's the same way with Jesus. He loves us. He cares for us. He only wants good things for us. The question is, can you trust him? I know the reason why sometimes we can't, and I'll get into that. So, what does love from Jesus look like? It looks a lot like the five love languages, you know, a little bit of quality time, gifts here and there. It looks a lot like acts of service we think sometimes it's all about us serving jesus and it is but you know what jesus wants to serve us too completely he loves us it also looks a lot like sanctification which is inner healing and character development So one of the reasons why it's hard to sometimes receive God's love is because we don't actually know that it's his love being offered to us. And the reason is, is because sanctification, sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes it means that we have to confront some pain. Sometimes we have to confront things that are messy. And we don't want to. But if we trust Jesus and we 
we follow him in the journey and we trust that he's taking us to a better place, knowing that his character is only to give us good things and nothing else, we can go through that pain, we can go through that mess and get to the other side where we can go, God is so good. This is what he did for me. For me, I had this lie that I was living out of, that, uh, this belief for myself that went like this. I'm too small. I can't do it. I was a really small kid growing up and I had an event with authority where because I was small, I couldn't achieve something that I should have been able to achieve because somebody abused authority in my life. And that lie demoralized me for a lot of my life and really, really held me back from my full potential. And the Trinity loved me, took me through the pain. I re-entered the pain, confronted the pain and transformed my world. And he told me the truth. Actually, I'm not too small. I'm really powerful. And in him, I can do whatever I need to do. So that present that I've given Joe, it's all wrapped up in something that looks really ugly. I did this intentionally because that's what it's like. That's what I'm talking about. Sometimes the, the, first, the first encounter you have with a new gift with God, what, usually it's not. We've act, he's actually had more attempts in the past to try to help us, but uh, we, um, we, for whatever reason, we actually said no. And... It's probably because it was really messy. It's probably because it was a bit ugly. It's probably because we didn't want to go there. So uh, you can trust me, Joe. You can, uh, you can open that up and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's all right. You can. So why, if this sermon is about loving Jesus more, why am I talking about receiving his love? That's a good question, isn't it? The reason is, is uh, in 1 John 4.19, it says, we love because, oh, actually, it's 18, it's actually the first part of the other scripture we love because he first loved us oh no no the other scripture says no this is after the scripture before says the first half says if we do not love then the love of God is not in us if we hate someone the love of God is not in us so 1 John 4 19 so the one after we love because he first loved us this is a natural response of to anybody that has shown love to us, shown kindness to us, is to love them back. Except sometimes with really broken people, they, they don't want to love back. They just want to keep taking. They just want to keep taking. And the reason they do that is because they're, they're fighting for themselves to save them, themselves from their own pain. And they just haven't turned to Jesus and asked him to heal them yet. So we need to receive God's love so that we can be healed. And that's going to help us love Jesus more. 
but also because we actually need the love of God in us to love well. That's scripture I did say before. If you hate your brother, then the love of God isn't in you. That's a selfless love we're talking about. So to love God, we actually need to love him with his love. And so we have to receive his love first to be able to love him back more. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, play a song now. Uh, that, um, and um, I'll put the lyrics up on the screen. If, uh, if you could play that for me at the back there, that would be wonderful. A thousand colors in the shadows of a white wall A thousand stories that were smashed by a wrecking ball I've been trying to find a way to finally make sense of this mess But then I catch a glimpse of you like sunshine It's 
Thank you. So I was just doing a little bit of reading before about um, about this song, and the writer actually didn't even know that he um, he wrote it. He um, he just found it listening to his recordings of he says 275 voice recordings of songs that he just made, and um, he um, he heard it and he's like, wow, <laughs> I, I can't even remember singing that, and uh, and he took it to the record company and they they made it like they, this is the headline of the album and uh, so I just wanted to encourage this, the budding song artists out there to uh, to record that what they do and when when they're being spontaneous you never know what the Holy Spirit is up to and that's a that's an unreal song so before I move on to the next point time's running out uh, I just want to encourage everybody to go the journey I want to encourage everybody to consider again who Jesus is, that you can trust him wherever he takes you. If it's to inner healing, if it's to counselling, if it's to a friend's house, if it's to to do a school of supernatural life or a supernatural school somewhere, if it's to do a heart transformation course again next year, go, go where he calls you, wherever that is. You can trust him. Yeah, he's more interested in you and has the ability to heal you far more than any one of us can for you. Yes, he uses us to, to share his love, to express his love infrequently, but he's the commander. He's the one making it all happen, not, not us. So this next point is loving Jesus intentionally which is otherwise known as serving or worshipping Jesus. This is all based on uh, one bit of scripture. This is uh, Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so where is your treasure? To find out where your treasure really is, you might first ask, what is my treasure? The Passion Translation puts it like this. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. Another way to find out what your treasure is is to ask yourself, what am I investing in? Because another word for treasure is to, is to invest. What are you investing in? What are you spending time, money, effort? What are you developing whatever that is you're treasuring it the next thing to realize though that you actually have some ability to to influence your heart to influence what you are treasuring you can choose what you value you can choose what you are investing in so it's not just a random thing of, I just feel, I just feel. You actually have the ability to guide your heart. Because in the investing, in the serving, in the worshipping, you fall more in love with. Because you are treasuring, because you are valuing, your heart grows fond of that thing. Your heart 
falls in love with it. You find this in marriage, don't, don't we? How much time have we invested over the years into our loved ones and how much more have we fallen in love for them? So the other major way, just hold on. Backtrack a little bit. So there are a couple of ways we can do this. You can uh, talk to Jesus. You can sing love songs to him. You can tell him you need him. You can tell him that you love him. You can tell him that you trust him. I suggest that you try to do it regularly in different ways. And especially when life is tough. Work might be really bad. Maybe you're not getting any sleep. I love you, Jesus. I trust you. I trust that you're going to give me the energy I need when I need it. I trust that you make all things work together for good, even with my bad choices and mistakes. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect with your mistakes. He's not going to necessarily cover it right over. But you know what? He's going to work it out for you good because he loves you. So the other major way to be more intentional, to fall more in love with Jesus, is to, to serve him. So how can you serve him some more? What can you do? What can you sign up for for Jesus? I want to throw a word of caution out here. This, is, this comes straight out of my own life, my own relationship with, with Jesus. Once upon a time, my relationship with Jesus was purely based on serving. It was all about serving. That's all I did. I didn't even know I could talk to Jesus and he would talk back to me. I just thought it was all about serving him. So everything I did for him or with him, I had no experience of the playfulness of Jesus I had no experience of all the other beautiful things that Jesus is. Well, realization of it anyway. I probably I did experience his love and his generosity, but I didn't know it. I didn't know it was coming from him. I had a little little encounter with realizing the, or, or allowing the love of God to open up like that present, open up in my life at that time. And so my life was all about service, and I was intense. As I am, I'm pretty intense. Most of you know that about me. And uh, I want to suggest, this is what I found out about myself, that that service is actually more, uh, less about serving him and more about serving me. Yes, it will help you to fall love, more in love with Jesus, which it did for me. But I want to suggest a better way, if that's where you are, is to go back to get to know him. I want to suggest that you receive his love first. And then when you've got his love inside of you, then you do this serving thing more intentionally. Surrendering your life to Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that you're serving him all the time. 
Jesus first wants relationship, first of all. And serving is supposed to come out of that. So now if I could ask um, Ollie to come back up, play the keys for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an altar call. Uh, I'm going to call three altar calls, actually. The first one is about surrender. If you want to surrender your life more to Jesus, then uh, I want you to come up on this side. I, uh, I've got a, um, uh, a sheet here. You can put your name on your phone number. And if you want to serve Jesus more, you can write it down. And you get a personal call. Andrew doesn't know about this. But either him or myself or one of the leaders, we're going to call you up. We're going to, have a, we're going to engage with you and have a discussion about how can you serve God. We're going to try and empower you along that journey. I'm serious. I'm, I'm like, let's step it up a notch, you know. Talk about intense. Let's be intense. So uh, with, uh, with surrender, though, what I wanted to, to say is when, when I uh, was a teenager and uh, I, uh, I went along to State Youth Games, for many years and uh, one of the first ones I went along to the preacher gave the opportunity to give your life to Christ but then on the other side she gave this opportunity to surrender your life to God and I went up to because I'd already said the sinner's prayer and stuff I went up to surrender my life to God and I was touched I had an encounter with God I know it and then I got really confused because I went back to my youth group and this guy had a real problem with that. And he goes, when, uh, when you get saved, you are surrendering your life to Christ. You shouldn't, uh, there shouldn't really be two altar calls. And uh, it really confused me for a long time because there seems to be a lot of truth in that. But you know what I've, uh, you know what I've come to realize? Yeah, that's the intention. Yeah? And that's why some people, when they get saved, they actually have a tremendous surrendering of God and then they have a massive transformation in their life and we know it but you know what not everyone everyone's story is like that my story wasn't like that little change I was on a journey little change by little change by little change many of our stories are like that particularly those that grow up children that grow up that have little understanding no it's true some children can have a massive transformation don't get me wrong um it's, it's actually it's actually okay that when we get saved, most, well, probably all of us actually don't surrender our whole lives completely to Jesus, you know. And that's all right. That's normal. There's parts of our hearts that we guard. And it's a journey. There's an unfolding. This is part of the sanctification process. So it's actually okay to want to come up and surrender your heart more to Jesus. So if that's you, I want you to come to this side. The other, other altar call I want to make, so three, this is the second one. If you need to receive the love of God more in your life, if you need to be touched by Him, if you need, if you need that healing touch, if you need to experience His love more daily, come to here, the middle. And then lastly, if you feel like that you hardly know who Jesus is, so and you just think, you realize that you've, you've just had these religious notions, maybe a couple of lies about him that, that I had and realized that that's not even true, thinking that Jesus ain't playful at all, that he's always serious, he's always religious, he's always, you know, 
just just this this one mono like this one thing if that's you and you want to discover who Jesus is more I encourage you to come to this side so if I could please have um any of the other worship team come back up everyone else we can just worship God for a little bit and uh, I just want to encourage everybody to come come forward that want to respond to to the tug of the Holy Spirit in their life to the the bit that they need asking the question yeah come up Barry um which which place do I need to be at where am I at right now do I need the love and the touch of Jesus am I going to surrender my heart more or do I need to discover who he really is you know if I could have like if Rob as well if there's a few people if people if a lot of people come up then I want a a hand praying for people worship team is just uh, playing some soaking music they've decided and uh, decided we're not going to sing so just soaking his love and if you feel you need to come forward you can it doesn't mean anything it's nothing less of you coming forward if you need to it's very practical practical to come forward while your heart's alive in that place of gotta make it I gotta make a choice I gotta I need more I need to experience encounter more of Jesus in my life because what I've experienced so far isn't the isn't the life that every Christian can has the opportunity to live and my relationship with Jesus hasn't been what I wanted it to be